when somebody comes in with a memory problem. It could also be due to an infection. A lot of viral infections do affect the nervous system and can affect the brain. The most common thing to rule out for somebody who has memory impairment is what medications are they taking? Because medications can account for about 7-12% to of all dementia diagnosis and is very potentially reversible. Hello and welcome to the Age Stage Podcast, where it is our mission to equip you with the resources to navigate life's challenges, empower you to make critical choices with the ones you love as they age, and enrich your life with a renewed sense of self-worth, self-confidence, and peace of mind. I'm your host, Dr. Cheryl Matthew. I'm happy to bring you part two from the Age Sage series with Dr. Karen Josephson. Is it dementia or something else? As a board-certified internal and geriatric medicine doctor, Dr. Josephson works with older adults and their families. In this episode, Dr. Josephson explains dementia and what other medical conditions might be causing memory or decision-making impairment besides Alzheimer's. If you've noticed someone is more forgetful, this is your go-to list to figure out what might be going on. Thank you for joining us. I think you'll find great value in Dr. Josephson's information. We'll get rolling right after a word from one of our sponsors. Every passage in life has its ups and downs, decisions and transitions, a beginning and an end. I invite you to navigate life's journey like an age sage, fully living, learning, and loving. As we care for our aging loved ones, we also need to make time to care for ourselves. So this is our safe space to share challenges, wisdom, and joy along life's adventure. I'm your guide, Dr. Cheryl Matthew, and this is Age Sage. Welcome, Dr. Josephson. Thank you so much for being back with us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Today, I would love for you to talk to us about what other medical conditions might be causing an increased confusion or decreased memory. Oftentimes, when someone is concerned about their own or someone else's memory loss, they jump right to the conclusion that they have dementia or Alzheimer's. And it's really important to know that sometimes it's simple medical conditions that can cause these symptoms, such as vitamin deficiency or an infection. So if you could outline for us what to think about, what information to bring to our doctor so that we can get a correct diagnosis and rule out some other things that might be reversible, I'd really appreciate it. Dementia is when you have an impairment in your memory and an impairment in some higher cognitive functions, such as being able to recognize spatial things or being able to alternate between two tasks and keep on track, or being able to plan things. The typical person that you see with Alzheimer's is that at some point in their life, they can't incorporate any new memories. It's like a curtain comes down. And they may or may not have motor problems when I talk about motor problems, I talk about things that might make somebody look like they have another neurological problem, like an abnormal gait or walk, 
or that they have a tremor in their hands. So some forms of Alzheimer's do have this component and others don't. And there's other forms of dementia too and other causes. Another common cause of dementia is due to multiple strokes. And typically what you see with this kind as opposed to with Alzheimer's is that these individuals will be fine for a while and then all of a sudden there'll be a sharp decline or a change. Not all strokes look like somebody losing use of their arm or not being able to speak. Some strokes are what we call silent in that you don't see any outward expression of something wrong, but there's something not right about the way they're processing information in their minds. And so it is common to also have more than one kind of dementia. So you can have Alzheimer's and strokes. So when you think of the, the outcome of dementia is a functional problem. So this is a person who has a problem with their memory and a problem with some other higher cognitive functions, and it's interfering with their life. Now you have to go all the way back to say, well, what started this? What caused it all to happen? There are many reasons why somebody can have problems with their memory. And when you do the diagnosis, it's generally a clinical diagnosis because the only way to know for sure what happened is after the person has already died. And then they see that the cells are abnormal. They've got these features that they call plaques and tangles, which is basically the end result of what other process was going on. So when you see the plaques and tangles, that isn't what caused the dementia. That's what the brain did in response to something else going on. It's its way of trying to protect itself. So what things could be going on? I did discuss that they could be having strokes. And so causes of strokes, you know, whether it's due to abnormal lipids or it's due to hypertension or it's due to diabetes or, you know, any other sort of abnormality, whether it be aneurysms or trauma, because Alzheimer's is associated with having early trauma to the head, you know, many, many years before they develop the memory problems. So some sort of damage has occurred. It could also be due to heart problems. So if somebody has an arrhythmia where the blood flow isn't good to the brain, or they have valvular disease where the blood flow is impaired to the vein, or they have blockages in the arteries that lead up from the heart to the brain, or in the arteries in the brain, you can see problems such as what we call multi-infarct dementia or vascular dementia. Some of these changes could be from endocrine problems. So if you have a low thyroid, that could affect your thinking or if you have hypothalamus issues. These other thyroid abnormalities are frequently looked at when somebody comes in with a memory problem. It could also be due to an infection. 
a lot of viral infections do affect the nervous system and can affect the brain. And so checking for infections is important. Um, some common known infections to cause this would be like somebody who has syphilis. The last stage of syphilis is called neurosyphilis, and it leads to dementia, as these organisms do invade the brain tissue. Lyme disease is also being looked at as a cause of people who have memory problems, because in that disease itself, these people do have a fogginess in their brain and have trouble thinking. So a chronic Lyme disease could cause a problem like dementia. The most common thing to rule out for somebody who has memory impairment is what medications are they taking? Because medications can account for about 7 to 12% of all dementia diagnosis and is very potentially reversible. So blood pressure medications, certain medications such as antihypertensives that have are called beta blockers can affect the way the brain thinks, affect mood, and also if the medications are too strong, then there's not enough blood flow to the brain. Or some heart arrhythmia medications can cause it. People can have side effects from pain medications that affect memory or ones that work on their nervous system for seizure control or even diabetes medications. So all of these have to be looked into also. Nutrition plays a big role. B12 deficiency is a reversible cause of dementia. And as people get older, they have a tendency to develop a B12 deficiency. Their gut may not cleave that uh, nutrient that they need, or if they have a diet that is poor in animal meats, that can lead to a B12 deficiency, or if they have an overgrowth in the part of the intestine that helps to create this vitamin. Similarly, if they have a deficiency in vitamin D, that can affect cognition too. So doing a routine test of necessary vitamins and minerals would be helpful. Also, if they have too much stress in their life, Stress causes inflammation in the body, and it overloads the body, and it overloads the brain. And so stress can lead to a lack of sleep, and people who have sleep abnormalities like sleep apnea, they don't get that restful sleep at night. Their brain can't release all of those. It, it sort of like takes out the garbage at night when you're in deep sleep, and so when you don't have that opportunity there is a lot of inflammation in the brain. So sleep disorders and stress itself can cause problems with your memory. So can psychiatric issues. Depression often looks like dementia, and people who have a severe depression or have a manic depressive disorder or have a, a psychotic disorder, their brain is not going to be functioning as well. And so you'll see abnormalities with that too. And so all of these things can influence the way the brain functions. And so when you have somebody who has a problem with memory, you have to really look into that global person. And it's not just, well, it has to be dementia. 
also look into the environment that they're in. So are they in a stressful environment? Is it something that they take a more passive role in? And some people, quote, check out because it's easier to just let the other individual in their relationship control everything or, you know, if they're just passive and they don't have to think, then life is easier. And so you see that behavior also. And with the brain, just like with the rest of the body, if you don't use it, you lose it. So people who shut down after they've had a career and they don't have anything to stimulate the brain, their brain stops functioning as well as it used to. It's not that they have dementia, but just like that person who does nothing every day, their brain isn't stimulated, and so it's not functioning as well as it used to. Well, all of that is really great information, and I'm, I'm sort of laughing to myself because you know, we've worked together for probably 15 years, me as a care manager, and then I would call you in to work with some of my patients who have dementia, and I kept thinking of questions in my mind, and then without even asking, like you would just answer them. So that was a lot of really helpful information. I remember one client that we worked with together, the woman had Alzheimer's and one day she just stopped communicating. Her caregivers thought maybe she's just declining and she stopped talking and she just seemed a little out of it. And then we brought her to the doctor and we checked her ears and he found a lot of wax in her ears. And as soon as she t he took that big thing of wax out, she could hear us and she was back to her normal self, not without dementia, but she was communicating. And so it's, sometimes it's just simple things that we could just chalk up to, well, it's just the disease or it's just you know Alzheimer's. But sometimes there are things that we can do, like you're talking about, maybe it's vitamin D or vitamin B or um, a medication that's affecting someone. So that's great information as far as what else to look for and rule out so that the person that's having the struggle can have the best quality of life possible. I'm really glad that you brought up the issue of the hearing because people base memory evaluation on whether that person's interacting with them appropriately. And if they can't hear you, then how can they possibly remember what you told them? And so when I do an evaluation of somebody for cognitive evaluation, I have to make sure that they can hear me. And I also have to make sure that they can understand what I'm saying, that the language is appropriate for them, especially if English isn't their primary language. And then you also have to see, well, what is their educational level? And what are your expectations from that too? There is such a thing as, you know, people who have vision loss and hearing loss due to dementia, and that's called cognitive blindness and cognitive deafness. And that's that they can still hear and see, but they can't interpret the information that their eyes and their ears are bringing in. And so that is another form of deafness is somebody who has that cognitive hearing loss as opposed to just regular 
hearing loss from structure. I was just reminded of another client we had together where this this person seemed like they were really maybe they had a couple of weeks left to live. They were had were declining and they just were having a real hard time. And I told the family about you. They called you in for an assessment and you looked at their medication list, which was pretty extensive, which is very normal, especially in the United States with people as they age, they just keep collecting more and more medications. And some, sometimes they don't need them anymore, but they keep taking them uh, because, you know, it just never get, falls off their medication list. So one of the first things you did was look at their medication list and you cut out about two thirds of it. And within a couple days, they were actually doing much better because of the effects of the medication on them. Yeah, it's, it's really powerful. And just because you needed something earlier in your life doesn't mean you still need it. There's many patients that I've picked up who are on antihypertensives, and I've been able to lower and sometimes take off the blood pressure medication altogether because they don't really need it anymore. Their cardiac output has gone down, and so the blood pressure medication isn't as necessary. And also, as you get older, some medications are not optimal for you to use, whereas a younger person would do well with that medication. So say someone, say a family member or a friend, notices that someone else is struggling with their memory or their decision-making. Maybe they're getting lost in familiar areas. What do you suggest is the first thing to do? Well, the first thing I would do is see if they're aware of it. It's common in Alzheimer's that people do not have the insight that there's an impairment as opposed to other things going on. So the first thing they should ask is, you know, I've noticed this happening. Have you noticed it too? And then getting some information about what they feel is going on because they may have the answer for you. They may say, well, yeah, I usually have this problem after I take my afternoon meds, or I haven't been sleeping well, or, I mean, there may be another reason for it. And then look into, well, let's see what we can do to optimize how you're doing. So there's a lot of fear that's involved with the diagnosis. And so trying to casually bring it up to somebody and say, hey, yeah, I noticed some of these behaviors. You don't say you have a problem. You say I've noticed that sometimes you get lost when you come home or you've forgotten to pick up things that you went to the store to get. Um, have you noticed anything like that? Because it's people get scared, will get defensive, but they may also have a very good explanation for, yeah, I got lost because... I was so distracted by this other thing going on in my head that I forgot that I missed the exit. So, you know, there may be a reason for it. Taking them to the doctor for evaluation, um, trying to be as objective and focus on what you've noticed, so that gives a clue for the doctor to know what to look into. And also to look at the whole situation what medications do they are, what diagnoses do they have, what tests 
would be indicated should they get a scan of the head? Is this something that happens only at a certain time of day? You know, is it just at night that you see this? Or is it something that comes and goes depending on what medication they've taken? Uh, with the evaluation should be mental status testing. And the comprehensive testing is the best because it looks at various aspects of how the brain functions and reasons. And so there are some quick short tests, but they're not very sensitive or specific for identifying dementia. It's used as a tool to follow once you have the initial evaluation. But there are many, especially academic institutions, that have a cognitive impairment assessment clinic. And this is usually a full day or sometimes even two-day affair where they will go through various questions and asking for analysis of situations to determine whether there is a problem. Is the Alzheimer's Association a good place to, for people to call to find out where their local cognitive testing site is? They can, but many medical schools will have cognitive evaluation. Like there's a, one that I took my mother to uh, associated with UC Irvine that uh, does it. UCLA has one. USC has one. So, you know, all the major medical institutions that have a department for geriatrics or department for neurology will often have something like this. Is it important for someone to see a neurologist? Sometimes I hear of people being recommended to get an MRI and a spinal tap for the, to see what's going on. What type of test do you recommend? A lot of it depends on how they functioned on the clinical evaluation. It is standard to get an MRI of the brain to look for a structural lesion. And with one of my patients who came in with, quote, dementia, but the pattern of the memory impairment was not consistent with Alzheimer's and more consistent with what I would call a structural lesion. And we got an MRI and there was a tumor. So, you know, an MRI is pretty basic. Another one that is often done is a PET scan. And this looks for functional, a functional measure of how the brain is doing. So the MRI just looks at the structure. The PET scan looks at how the brain uptakes glucose. And so you could see parts of the brain working better than others. A SPECT scan would look at blood flow to the brain. So it depends on what you're looking for. And just because there's something structural doesn't mean that reflects exactly what's going on on the functional picture. A CT scan um, is not detailed enough in the brain tissue to be used as a scanning for causes of dementia. The uh, spinal tap is used when you suspect that there is something to indicate like an infection 
in the nervous system that could cause it. So if there's certain markers that come back positive for a particular infection or sometimes it's a fungal infection, viral infection, bacterial infection. And so for that, you would look into it. Or markers, if you think somebody may have a neurological condition like MS, and this is one way to make a diagnosis. But it is not a standard technique to do a spinal tap. I usually use the the concept of if there has been a rapid decline within the past several months, then that may indicate that there is an infection going on, and so a spinal tap would be indicated. First, of course, getting the MRI of the brain. There are conditions in the brain that can cause the abnormality, um, like normal pressure hydrocephalus, and you can see that, and then doing the spinal tap and releasing some of the fluid, if the person's cognition improves, then that tells you that's also the diagnosis. And you always want to do a scan of the brain before you do the spinal tap, because if there's a tumor or something that is blocking the lower part of the brain stem area, and you do a spinal tap and you release the pressure, then there could be um, a disastrous occurrence in the brain. So unless it's an emergency, you always scan the brain first before you do the spinal tap. And then there's a series of blood tests that can be done looking for some of those abnormalities that I had discussed earlier. It seems like these days, one of the top fears of people is getting dementia or Alzheimer's, mainly because it's scary that we don't have memory and also that there's not a clear-cut cause or a treatment. What do you say to people if they you know, start forgetting little things? Maybe they forget names more than they used to or, gosh, where did I... Where did I put my keys? You know, and people will joke around like, "Oh, I had a you know, senior moment." What is the difference between normal aging and something we should be concerned about that might be Alzheimer's or a type of dementia? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, it's like if I'm 20 years old and I forgot where I put my keys, it wouldn't bother me. But if I'm 70 years old and I forget where I put my keys, it bothers me. And there are changes that happen in the brain as you get older. You can still make new memories. It takes more effort to make them, though. It takes more effort to learn. And it takes more effort to retrieve these memories, too. It's like I could spend two days thinking, what was the name of that, the actor who played that character? And as long as it stays in my mind to bug me, then I don't have a problem with my memory. It's just retrieving that particular piece of data. But my brain can hold this information. And so I tell people, if you have that tip of the tongue phenomenon where you're trying to remember something and you can't and it bothers you and it bothers you, and then finally, oh, yeah, it's this, there's nothing wrong with your brain. This is what happens as we get older. It's when... You can't think of it and, oh, well, and it never occurs to you to say, well, I really do want to think of this. There's a condition called mild cognitive impairment or MCI, 
which accounts for this gray area of somebody who is not doing as well as they used to, but they're not as bad as to make a diagnosis of dementia. And that frequently these people can just stay in this gray area and that's it. Or some will, you know, with an added stressor possibly, such as a great loss in their life or a medical condition and they have to go into the hospital and get surgery and they get anesthesia and now they come out and they're not the same. You know, some stressor like that pushes them over into dementia or it's within that natural progression that they have. So there's not one point where you say, okay, it happened today, but it's a spectrum. And so also to adapt to what's going on. So if you're having problems remembering things, then you start keeping a little notepad with you and writing things down that you know that you need to do, you know, like your day planner. And multitasking is never a good idea for anybody because you can't do anything as well single tasking, you know, anything as well multitasking as you can single tasking. And so taking that into account for as you get older saying, hey, I'm going to focus on what I need to do so I could do a good job. So it'll take more time. And as we get older, we're also more easily distracted. So don't have the radio or the TV or something on while you need to focus on doing your um, budget or your taxes, because that will more likely make you less effective in your thinking. So it's a spectrum and all of aging is adaptation and trying to work with it, trying to maximize what you have got and to fix what you can fix. Thank you so much for that really valuable information that really comes from years and years of training and experience working with older adults and their families. And it's just a reminder when someone is about 65 years and older to find a physician that has extra training in geriatrics and experience so they can be aware of the nuances and changes in the body so that they can provide the best care for you as you get older. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you in part three of the series with Dr. Josephson. Thank you for joining us. At AgeSage, our aim is to equip you with resources to navigate life's challenges, empower you to make critical choices with your aging loved ones, and enrich your life with a renewed sense of self-worth, self-confidence, and peace of mind. I want to take a moment to ask you to rate, review, and recommend this podcast. AgeSage is a new podcast that we created just for you, but no one will know about it if our listeners don't spread the word. So please take a moment now to review it and share it with friends whom you know would benefit from it. If you have a burning question that you would like me to answer on the show, please head over to agesage.co and leave me a voicemail. There you will also find detailed show notes for each episode, and you can download my free ebook, Advocating for Aging Loved Ones. Once again, that's agesage.co, A-G-E-S-A-G-E dot C-O. This is Dr. Cheryl Matthew, and I want to thank you again for joining us today. I look forward to sharing this journey with you.